morning on vacation or at a little extended weekend, but we are glad you are here and a few visitors coming to fill in some of our empty seats this morning. Today is the Lord's Day. If you are a believer in Christ, he has called you to this moment. He has summoned you, if you will, the church, to gather on the Lord's Day. And you gather to receive this morning. We gather to receive grace and mercy. We gather to hear the word of God as he speaks truth into our hearts. And brothers and sisters, as you gather in this sacred space, we will respond as we receive we will therefore respond, and I trust our response this morning is praise, adoration, and worship of our great, holy, and triune God. Amen? May God grant that this morning for the people here at Randolph Street. A few announcements, if you will grab your bulletins just quickly with me, uh, more than just a few announcements. Um, in the middle section, you're going to see two or three very important announcements. Number one, our baptism scheduled for the end of July, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you've never publicly professed your faith in Christ, your union with Christ, uh, the classes we have set aside begin June 13th. If you have not already spoken with Pastor Tim, please do so, uh, so that you can be a part of those classes. Next Sunday, right after our gathering, is no, another one of our informal church picnics. Uh, we use the word informal just to distinguish it from what happens in October uh, out at Canal State Forest. But we did this a few weeks ago up at Coonskin. I was blown away by how many of you came to that. Uh, when I pulled in, I think us and the Valentines were the last ones to arrive. And uh, when I pulled in, I was just overwhelmed by how many of you uh, took time, came out, and some of you were there till four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, next Sunday, same place. I think it's the same place, same spot. Uh, bring food, bring blankets. It's, it's informal, so just show up, enjoy time together. If I could have your attention on this announcement, not that you haven't been listening, but June the 13th, we have a night of worship and remembrance. We're going to gather here on Sunday evening, June the 13th at 7 p.m. We're going to gather and we're going to sing a number of our favorite Randolph Street songs. We're going to read the scriptures. We're going to hear God speak to us. And we're going to take time to remember uh, three saints that we lost during covid uh, during those days, it was difficult, sometimes impossible, for you to be a part of these services. Uh, for Donna and Hazel, you, you could not come to those uh, memorial services. For Sean, it was still in just those odd days of COVID. So we're going to gather that evening. We're going to have testimonies, uh, some testimonies shared. Uh, Hazel's granddaughter, I think it is, is sending in a short video. Julia Moran is going to just share how the Lord has worked in her life over these past number of months. I'm going to read Donna's obituary that was written by Sean. So, such a good obituary. We're just going to take a time that evening to remember these three saints that we've lost during COVID. We would love for you to be a part of that. Come uh, June 13th, 7 p.m., uh, one more, two more announcements uh, inside of your bulletin this morning, Sunday support teams. We're starting to get some things back in the groove here. Uh, this, we'll say more about this in the coming weeks and emails and different venues. Uh, if, if you are already a part of these teams, you don't need to sign up again. But if you're not, I think it's been two years since we've done this. Seems like 10 years. It's, it's almost been two years. 
Uh, if, you, if you're not a part of these, we would love for you to be a part of these. So please look at these lists and descriptions. And then one more. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle with this, Carlo. Carlo Gonzaga. I think I'm close there. Carlo's been with us uh, for a period of months. Uh, transitioned here by job just temporarily from Houston. Uh, part of Reformed Baptist Church there in Houston. This is his last Sunday with us. Carlo, you, you're not going to like me for this. Just slip your hand up a little bit there. All right, that's Carlo, all right? So uh, this is his last Sunday with us, and uh, he, he's been such an encouragement to me just as a pastor here and texting and just comments he's made. But uh, make sure you take a moment and, and uh, extend your greetings and farewell to Carlo all at the same time. Okay. All that stuff's out of the way. Uh, let's take a moment. God has called you here to this moment. Let's prepare our hearts before the Lord uh, as we come to worship him together. with me if you would please and as you stand let us hear now the word of our God call us to worship Psalm 118 oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look on triumph, in triumph on those who hate me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give, you th give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Sing together. Thank you. 
Catechism question today deals with the providence of God, a massive topic, sometimes very difficult to get your head wrapped around something that anchors our soul in the midst of life in which we live. I am very grateful personally for the providence of God. I always appreciate the answers to these questions because they are so concise. Sometimes they're almost more than our minds can absorb. So I would encourage you to take your bulletin home uh, where these questions and answers are written out for you to think upon them. I believe they will uh, bring you great joy and peace and uh, help us to know our God better. Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? The Almighty, ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hands, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that meet and delayed, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to Question 28, a follow-up. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? Father, we are so very grateful as we consider who you are, that you are infinite in power, infinite in wisdom, that you are ever-present, you know the end from the beginning, and Lord, that in your wisdom, in your power, in your love, and by your grace, you have ordained life for us, and we are grateful for the truth of your providence. Father, in your providence and ordained will, you set forth that Jesus Christ would come and take our sin upon himself. Father, by your determined counsel, those things came to pass, and we are eternally grateful, O God, that in your love and grace and providence, you have so ordained that we might be your children. Father, we give you thanks and praise and glory. Lord, as we come together today to hear your word, as we come together today to consider, to think upon the, um, the ministry of Christ in this present time, his ascension, we are ever grateful for those great truths. We are grateful that you deal with us with a kind, fatherly hand. And to you, we give glory and honor and worship. Amen. Let's stand and sing together about these great promises of the gospel.
now to the reading of God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Colossians. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's stand and respond in song. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has No. 
mystery of his will that Christ should be the head of all his purpose to Thank you, Sean and worship team. Thank you, Randolph Street family, for engaging and singing as you did this morning. If you would take your copy of God's Holy Word and open with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning for the last of a, what began as a two-part series, but now is finishing as a three-part series on the ascension of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to look at a text that I ironically preached here in 2007 before I was officially installed as the uh, lead pastor here at Randolph Street. I preached this, I think if I remember correctly, April of 2007. I must have come down for a visit and preached this particular sermon, or at least part of this sermon. We're going to focus on four particular verses in the midst of a really extended argument beginning at verse number seven Ephesians four so together let us now hear the word of the Lord but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So what a glorious text for us this morning on this ascension sermon series. Let us now pray together and ask for God's blessings upon it. 
Father, as we bow here before you this morning, grateful, so, so very grateful for these truths that have been ringing in our ears for these last few minutes in song. Father, what you have given us in your Son is sheer grace, undeserved, and beyond our full understanding. You have richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And for that, your people gather here this morning with grateful hearts. And now we turn our attention to this passage, Father, that you have given us, your people, and I pray that you would strengthen our understanding of the current, present, active ministry of Jesus. May that understanding embolden us. May it deepen our courage as we think about our lives in this fallen world and what you have called us to. May we see now this risen, ascended Christ who gives us grace, and may we be encouraged this day. Father, if there would be any here or joining us online today that have not come to faith in Christ, would you on this Lord's day grant them grace that only you can give, that they might turn from their sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Lord, bless your people now as we turn our hearts to your word. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.
Ashley and Madison. Ashley, that was, that was incredible. That was incredible. The music fits so well with those words. I trust that your hearts are stirred as we hear that kind of language and truth come to our souls this morning. Well, with your Bibles open and your hearts and minds engaged, I trust I'll be in trouble for this, but you did see Bruce and Barbara here this morning. Bruce and Barb, you guys, it's so good to see you. Bruce and Barb had such an effective ministry among us for so many years. The Lord moved them to Indianapolis, or Satan moved them to Indianapolis, I'm not sure, one of the two, but uh, it's so good to see you too and to have you in our gathering on this Lord's Day. Um, Bibles open, pen, papers ready, handy. We've had... We're going to have three sermon series this summer. Just to, I said I was going to update you on that today. Um, this is our first series. It was supposed to be a two-part series coming off of Ascension Thursday. We were going to kind of get into this and kind of hit two aspects of the Ascension, and then it became a three-part series last week during my studies. And so we'll finish that today. Our next series is going to run through the entire month of June. We do this often during the summer. We take a little break from the consecutive exposition. And I had this little fancy little idea since the governor said June 20th we were going to take our mask off. Well, the last thing I wanted you to be talking about for the month of June were masks, right? So in that building anticipation, I thought, well, we're just going to preach the gospel for five weeks. Like, we're just going to pull out. So I even came up with this fancy little, the, the unmasked gospel. That's what, that was going to be the title of the, the series. The top, I was so excited about it. And then the CDC ruined it all, right? They ruined it all. But we're still going to do that so that our focus is where it should be. We're going to go five weeks starting next Sunday, all through June and the first Sunday of July. I'll preach three. Tim will preach two. And we're going to pull out five monumental gospel texts. And we're just going to preach our souls out for five weeks about the gospel. To end our summer series, before we step into the book of Acts, we will do a four or five, maybe six-week series on the sacraments. The importance of them, the nature of the sacraments, participation in them. And we're going to run that through the beginning of August. And then, as you are aware... We will step into the book of Acts at some point early August. So this sermon series, 
these last two weeks and today is really pressing in to ask the question, what is Jesus doing now? And the reason we, we stepped into that is because often in the church, sadly, in the Protestant church, we think of Jesus' life, his birth, his death and resurrection, and then we kind of fast forward all the way to his second coming, and we miss, possibly, this significant truth between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Jesus. For some reason, it's been absent, and I confessed this to you three weeks ago, it's been absent to some degree in my preaching through my life of, as a pastor. So we began this by looking in Luke, and Luke's re- record of this account, Luke is the only one who records for us the ascension of Jesus. We began looking at his gospel account, and kind of the first Sunday established really what is Ascension Sunday. We established the fact of the ascension. We wanted to look in and kind of see the historical records, if you will, from the resurrection, those 40 days, up until this moment when Jesus would stand before his disciples on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives and ascend to the heavens to the right hand of the Father. So our first Sunday, we tried to stay away from Acts to the best of our ability. We didn't do a very good job of that because we're coming back to Acts in just a few weeks. Our first Sunday was kind of establishing the historical record and facts of the ascension of Jesus. Last week, we looked into the book of Hebrews. And we began really peering in for the first time at the, the, the present active ministry of Jesus. And what we looked at in the book of Hebrews last week is we... We saw again this reality that Jesus has been exalted, how the book of Hebrews on four occasions is going to pick up on this idea that he's, he's ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. And to see the exaltation of Christ, to feel that, that's what I, I was hoping for last Sunday, to feel, we're going to see it again today, to feel the, the highness of his exaltation, he is far off and distant and above all things in this exaltation period of, of the ascension. But to, but to combine with that last Sunday, we wanted to see the nearness of Christ in this present ministry. Right? Though, it, though he is far off and exalted above all things, Yet Jesus, in his high priestly ministry to the church, through the Spirit, is near to us. And who is he near to? Those who are weak and those who need help. And in that, he gives grace and help in time of need. So we wanted to, last week I was hoping what we walked out of that more was on the feel factor of things, right? The first Sunday we wanted to get a good knowledge of this. The second, I want you to feel the realities of Christ being far above and yet Christ being near. And I hope this week your response to that Randolph Street family was as you pray was to sense, even in your prayers, to sense the nearness of Christ to you. Now, you're not praying to some far off distant deity. You have a high priest who is near and he is sympathetic and he is compassionate. That's who he is. 
He can't be anything but that. That's who he is. He ascended and he took that body with him and those experiences living in a fallen world as a human being, he took that with him and now he's near to you and your struggles and your concerns and your hurts and brothers and sisters, he understands all of that. He understands all of that. And there he is at the right hand of God, your advocate. And he knows all of that. Today, we turn to a very different text. And maybe last week was Pentecost Sunday, and I probably should have preached this sermon last week. But we're going to step back into that, asking the same question, what is Jesus doing right now? In this ascended ministry, what is Jesus doing right now? Here's the outline if you're taking notes this morning. Trust in some way you are. We're first going to look at a familiar call. All right, we're going to step out of this text and get get some context. We're going to look at a very familiar call. By by familiar, what I mean by that is us uh, here at Randolph Street. Two, we're going to look at this giver of grace, Jesus. Verse number seven, and specifically. Three, we're going to look at the ascension and taught together with this grace-filled ministry of Christ. And we're going to step back into Psalm 68 as Paul recites it in verse 8. Four, I think I, I think I said three. Four, we're going to see the purpose of all of this. Paul's going to give commentary on this psalm. He's, he's not going to just recite a psalm. Paul's going to step behind it and give us a little bit of commentary on this particular psalm. And he's going to give us, if you will, the purpose of the ascension, kind of the, the heart of the ascension. We looked at that briefly two weeks ago, and I'm going to end this morning by reading an inspired prayer. All right, it is an inspired prayer. So Ephesians, a little bit of background, a little bit of summary before we step into this familiar call. Paul has been moving. You're familiar with this book. You are familiar with this book. You, You know how this book is broken down. Three chapters of kind of theology, three chapters of kind of practice, three chapters of instruction, three chapters of saying, okay, this is what it looks like now in your life. This is how you live worthy of your calling. That's how he begins chapter four. You know the breakdown of Ephesians. Ephesians is concerned with you understanding that you have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. By the grace of the Father, you, believers, have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything is yours, all right? Don't don't let contemporary evangelical health and wealth type preaching, not that that's evangelical, draw you away from that reality. Right now, seated here in this moment, you have in Christ every spiritual blessing. Everything is yours because of your relationship and your union to Jesus. As a matter of fact, that union is so prominent. We we said this two weeks ago. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6, you are now seated in the heavenlies with Christ. That's your position. That's your identification. That is who you are in Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians is full of rich theology for us as readers. 
In this particular text, and as is often happening in Ephesians, Paul gets, Paul gets long at times. He writes run-on sentences. This particular verse, verses we're looking at, is really just one sentence, verses 7 through 10. 55 words in the original language. He's going to come out of this. And he's going to write a second sentence in verse 11 all the way through verse 16. So often what happens in the book of Ephesians, like chapter 1, Paul will get on these long, winding explanations of truth. And it's, it's kind of hard to follow. And that's kind of what we have here in Ephesians chapter 4 as we walk into this. So let's look at this familiar call. Let your eyes linger back to verse number one. This is how he begins this second section of Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So for three chapters, he's explained this calling that you've experienced as a sinner. And now he begins chapter four. Okay, I want you to walk worthy of this calling. And then he, then he puts some meat to the bones here in verse number two. With all humility gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father in law a father of all who is over all and through all and in all in all i say familiar call because we just finished the book of Philippians. And Philippians chapter 2, the first few verses of that particular chapter, kind of colored for us in our preaching about two months of preaching that flowed out of Philippians chapter 2, that early text. And it was a challenge to us to see here this mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 and what Paul is calling us to in that particular text. And I say familiar because this sounds a lot like Philippians chapter 2. Verse number two, humility and gentleness. This is what Paul's calling us to. In light of our calling, that we are to have this posture and attitude of humility just like Jesus and gentleness just like Jesus and patience just like Jesus. And we're called to bear with one another in love and eager to maintain this unity of the body of Christ. It's a familiar call to us. It's a crucial call from the apostolic writings that you and I as Christians, as we understand truth, we strive with all of our might and soul to be this, humble and gentle, patient, and bear one another in love. Now, Maybe this is confessional booth time for me. But I can't think of four higher hurdles that could be placed before me. To be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, and to bear with you in love. It's a familiar call to us. We've heard this in Philippians over and over and over again. And here it is once more from the pen of this apostle. This is what we are called to church. As a matter of fact, if I would be having coffee with a pastor this week and he would ask me, how do you know when Randolph Street is a healthy church? 
my answer would probably be something like this when we are growing here in humility and gentleness and patience and love. That's a, that's a healthy church. That's a healthy church because that's what glorifies God. And that glorifies God because that models Christ, which is exactly what he's called us to, right? Christ-likeness. And so Paul begins this chapter after three chapters of theology. He begins this chapter with a familiar call to us here at Randolph Street. This is what he's pressing into our lives in this day for our church, to be this kind of people, humble and gentle and patient and loving. That's what he wants for us. Now, in light of my confession, the proper response might be, how, how can I do this? Right? How can I truly be humble and gentle and patient and loving? I mean, I'm a self-centered individual. And I'm around other sinners like you all the time. That's who we are, right? So how can I be this? I, I hope you feel that. Well, the answer to that question is in this text. How, how can I be humble and gentle and patient? And how can I bear with others in love? How can I pursue unity of the Spirit? And let me, just a side note, since we've been chalking up church calendar things recently, you have the Spirit, you have the Father, and you have the Son right here in this text. Today, historically in the church, is called Trinity Sunday. So ironically, here we are with the triune expression of God here in Ephesians chapter 4. So how, how do we do this, church? Well, the answer begins in verse number 7. This is posturing now Christ ascended. And in that ascended ministry, he, he gives grace. Now, there's a specific kind of grace he's going to give here, and we're going to see that, but I think it's tied back to these initial verses likewise. Look at verse number 7. To each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift, or as your translation might say, it's Christ apportioned it. So what we see here in verse number seven is Christ, he gives his people, right? For his kingdom, he gives his people. And flowing out of these first few verses of Ephesians 4, I could certainly say this. He, he gives his people to, to care for and to serve others as Christ has served. But in this, he's building and sustaining and strengthening and as you're going to see in this latter portion of this text that we're not going to go through today, he does so to build his church. Christ now, we ask the question, what is Christ doing? Part of that answer is this, he, he's giving grace. Now he's going to get specific here in just a moment. This, this idea of grace is, is really tied to the idea of he, he gives gifts. He's going to get really specific in verse number 11 if you, your eyes linger down of what Christ gives. Apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, pastors, teachers. But in this text, verse number seven, it stays generic. We're not there yet. 
And notice again what he says in verse number 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it, or according to the measure of his gift. All right, so in verse number 7, he's calling all of you into this. All of his readers, he's bringing you into this moment and into this teaching, and he's helping you see how you live in this world as Christ has called you to live. It is through his gifting, it is through his strength that we live in this world, that we function in this world, that we fulfill the calling with which he has called us, that we walk in a manner worthy of that calling. How do we do that? It's by the grace that Christ gives So here he is. This is the head of the church, as has been established in Ephesians 1. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the picture we get in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7 and following, is that the head of the church right now, he actively oversees and builds her up as the risen, ascended, reigning Lord of the church. He's active. He's engaged. He's giving gifts and grace to his people for the sake of the body of Christ. Now, what is important for you to see is what I mentioned a moment ago. Christ is gifting you for this work. If you're a believer in Christ, you are included in this, verse 7. Christ is gifting you. He, he could snap his glorious fingers and accomplish every purpose that God had ever ordained. But instead, Christ is using you to accomplish his purpose. Paul will speak of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he says, to each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit. All right, this is that lengthy section. He's gonna, he's gonna talk about spiritual gifting. But he says, the manifestation of the Spirit, we're gonna tie that together in a moment with this gift that Christ gives, is for the common good. But, but to note that again, to each of us, this manifestation of the Spirit is now given, and then the end result of that is for the common good. This is, this is very similar to Ephesians chapter 4, right? For the unity of the body. That was, that's what we're striving for. We're eager to maintain that unity of the body of Christ and to grow her and to build her up. And how do we do that? It's through this gifting that Christ gives to us right now, in this moment, in this time. That's what Jesus is doing. This is tied to the work of the Spirit. Again, we're going to come back to that. And I didn't say this two weeks ago, but I think in part, that's why the disciples were so excited when Jesus departed. Remember that, remember that odd part in Luke, the rejoicing? I mean, there's such a distinction between what they previously experienced, but all of a sudden, they're rejoicing when Jesus departs. Previously, they had sorrow anytime Jesus would talk about leaving them, and now they're all of a sudden rejoicing. I think they understood Jesus' departure, because he had taught them, now is tied to the, the descending of the Spirit upon them to bring to pass these, this, this work of the kingdom. 
to each of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's the work of Christ in the Spirit as he gifts and builds up his church. Now, the, the point of this sermon is the ascension. So let's look further in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse number 8. This is, this is Paul tying the ascension together with this current grace-filled ministry of Jesus. Look at verse number 8. This is where he recites Psalm 68. He says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led, ho- led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So I find this fascinating. Paul is going to speak of the present work of Jesus. He's going to speak of that by grounding it in an Old Testament text, namely Psalm chapter 68. Psalm 68 is a psalm written by David. And maybe this afternoon you can take a moment to read through Psalm 68. But, But it is a celebration of God conquering the enemies and delivering his people. And it it captures a lot of redemptive history from the wilderness to Jerusalem. Psalm 68 is a celebration of what God has done in delivering his people from their enemies. And what this psalm becomes is really a response of praise to God. Right? They they received, and we talked about that when I walked up to the pulpit this morning. We receive, but then there's a response. And in Psalm 68, it, it is a Response of praise and adoration to God because he's worthy of praise. He has delivered his people. He has provided for his people. He has cared for his people. Some suggest this particular psalm was written by David to commemorate the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle as recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I mean, I would imagine David had some serious reflection in that moment. Whatever the case, this psalm is consumed with the idea that God has provided victory for his people and continued care and presence among them. In this psalm, you might be thinking oddly, Paul finds support for this ascended ministry of Jesus. This idea that he is victorious in battle And now he has ascended as the victorious king to give gift to his people. So back again to verse number eight. He ascended on high. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now the imagery in verse eight is that of a king. You've probably seen this in various maybe movies or books that you've read. And the idea is that after the victory, the king would ascend upon his throne and he would receive the spoils of his victory from the conquering army and he would give them, gift them to his people. So, so it's, a, it's a glad and happy moment for the kingdom here. It's a, it's a time of celebration. The king has led his people into, into, into battle. He has led his people into, uh, into, the, into the, the struggle of the fight, and he has brought them to, through victorious, and now he's ascended to the throne, and, and what is brought to him is all the spoils of the victory, and the king, the glad king, dispenses those gifts to the members of his kingdom. 
so in this psalm david is reminding the nation of israel of the victory that god has provided and now he's taking that old testament idea and he's going to connect that to jesus and the ultimate victory that god has provided calvin would write about this little connection from psalm 68 to ephesians 4 and he would say the greatest triumph so we've got all these triumphs in the Old Testament. You're in your Old Testament reading now, right? All these moments of glorious victories, right? Multitudes of victories and these great celebrations that flow out of these victories. And Calvin writes, the greatest triumph, with all of that as your background, the greatest triumph which God ever won was when Christ, this is how, this is how Paul's picking up on this now, after subduing sin, conquering death, and putting Satan to flight, rose majestically to heaven that he might exercise glorious reign over the church. So David, Paul here takes David in Psalm 68, this background, right, with all kinds of imagery related to it, and he's going to bring it all to Christ and say, now he has brought forth the ultimate victory of all battles. And he has ascended. He has ascended to this glorious throne. Paul will speak of this in Colossians chapter 3. At least he'll speak of the battle about Jesus. He'll say, and you, it's about you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. How did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and then here it is. He disarmed rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This, this imagery is brought now to the New Testament text, and this idea of Christ, and how he entered into the battle and he brought victory for his people. Now, how many of you flip back to Psalm 68? No, don't answer that. I might be discouraged or encouraged. I don't know. But if you did flip back to Psalm 68, you will notice Psalm 68 doesn't read like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. There's a difference. There's an interpretive challenge here. In Psalm 68, it says the king, when he ascends, he receives gifts. You can look at that later. Psalm 68, verse 18. It says he receives gifts. And Paul now interprets that in Ephesians 4 and says, no, 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 he gave gifts. So what's, what's going on here? Well, I think it's a simple answer. It, it, it's, they're, they're tied together. Now, I said it a few moments ago. When the king receives the spoils of the victory, the good king, at least, what does he do? He dispenses the loot, the, the spoils of that victory with the citizens of his kingdom, his conquering army. And that's the imagery we have here. That's what Paul's picking up on. When Jesus accomplishes the defeat of the enemy, he receives, but he receives to give. William Hendrickson in his commentary says, Paul here is, in the New Testament is working from a different framework. He's interpreting the psalm and moving it toward its understood application. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the apostle had every right to make this application. Then he writes, the victor receives the spoils with a view of giving them away. The giving is implied in the receiving. Maybe that's why the disciples were so happy. Maybe they were understanding this. Stott would say the spoils were divided and that which was plundered by Jesus was shared among his kingdom. 
I mean, this is an incredible analogy or at least imagery that this writer brings to us. The king now, the good king, he leads his army through, through the battle into victory. He ascends to the throne. He receives the spoils of the victory. And in turn, he redistributes them to the people of his kingdom. Now, with all of that in mind, let me read to you one verse out of Acts chapter 2. This is Peter talking about Jesus. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. There it is. There it is. He has, he has conquered he has ascended, and now there he is right now. And what is he doing? He's pouring forth that which they were seeing and they were hearing in that moment, this ministry of the Spirit of God, this risen, conquering king who has ascended to the throne, now looks upon the kingdom and his citizens, and he dispenses grace upon you. That's what's happening. Think of that. Right now. And I've tried to draw you into that. It almost seems like a theory, right? Because our eyes can't see this. But it's by faith we lay hold of this. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high, and he is dispensing grace to his people. That's what he's doing right now for you. Last week... I was hopeful that out of that sermon in your brokenness and struggles and disorientation in this fallen world, you would feel this earnestness to go to Jesus for help. That's what I was hoping would come out of that. This week, I, what I hope comes out of this truth is that you go to God and you plead that he would pour grace and gifting up on you for the good of the people of God. All right, so let's, let's move forward here. Look at, look at Paul's commentary. He's going to move us to the commentary in verse number 9. So he's going to take us to Psalm 68, but he's going to come back and provide us a little bit of commentary. And this takes us to the purpose of the ascension. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Paul reminds us here that the king could not ascend in victory unless he first descended into the battle. That's kind of the idea behind verse number 9. And he, he could not claim victory until he walked in to the difficulties of the battle. Notice Paul's language here. He descended into the lower regions of the earth, these earthly regions. Now, you pick up commentaries on this. You're going to read all kinds of thoughts. I think overcomplicating what Paul is going after here. I think it's a very simple idea what Paul is trying to communicate. I think Paul wants us to be reminded as readers of the depth of, of the descent of Jesus in his incarnation. He wants you to see how low Jesus was made. I mean, Philippians 2 should be running through your mind right now. 
because in turn he wants you to see the height of his ascent in the exaltation. So he's, he's going to bring two thoughts to bear here as we think about the life and ministry of Jesus. Number one, his humiliation. How deep he descended when he became like us, when he took up on himself human flesh, when Philippians speaks of him, of becoming a servant. Paul wants you to understand how deep our Lord descended. But in light of that, how high he has ascended. From the manger to the cross, capturing this Old Testament imagery, from the manger to the cross, Jesus descended into battle. He enrobed himself in flesh. He dwelt among us. That was his descent into the fray. Thomas Watson would say he stripped himself of robes of glory and covered himself with the rags of our humanity. That's what is happening in the incarnation. Paul would say he was rich, and yet for your sake he became poor. He descended into the battle. But let's not stop there. Look at verse 10, the end of it. He ascended far above the heavens. So he talks about his humiliation. Now he talks about his exaltation. So as deep as the descent was, so high was the ascension. As a matter of fact, Paul uses language far above the heavens. In other words, you can't get any higher than this ascension. He's not going to let you think that Jesus simply moved next door. He has been exalted over all things. I mean, this is, this is the ascension of Christ. It is glorious to the right hand of the Father. It is high and it is lofty. In Ephesians 1, he will say this. He has seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. You hear that? Over everything. Nothing competes with Jesus in this exaltation. He continues, he has seated him above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So it doesn't matter if it's now or if it's future, Jesus is exalted over all things. That's his position. That's where he is right now, over all authorities, all powers, all dominion, all rulers. Christ reigns over all of them. And brothers and sisters, I don't care what your eyes see on TV or what your ears your ears hear with commentators of today's culture and world. Paul's teaching is this. Christ has ascended, and he has been exalted, and he rules over everything. Why? Verse 10, the very end, that he might fill all things. It's easy for us to think of Jesus when he ascended that his work was done. It is easy for us to think of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father with nothing to do. Well, that's not true. He is actively on a mission. The end of verse 10 captures this. He is filling all things, which I think simply means he is filling the universe with his power and his authority. 
Jesus right now is in the act of subduing all things to himself right now. O'Brien in his commentary says this final clause of verse 10, it corresponds back to the text I just read, and I'll come back to a moment ago in chapter 1, verse 23. He said, where the verb feel signifies a control by exercise of sovereignty. He says, Christ fills the universe, not in some semi-physical sense, but by his mighty rule over all things. He fills the universe through the exercise of his lordship over everything. So there he is at the right hand of the Father. And what is Jesus doing? He is gifting his church. He is equipping and strengthening his church through the work of the Spirit. And that work that Jesus is bringing to pass will not fail. This text brings us to bear this picture of a victorious king, a victorious Christ who is not only risen, but ascended and he's glorified and he's supreme over all things. And that battle, though won, the king now works to bring to pass the victory that has already been secured, and he does so by this active exercising of his rule and filling the universe with his authority and with his glory through the church. It's what Christ is doing right now. Part of this is just understanding and believing. Right now, the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father. And through the church, gifting his people, he is actively subduing the principalities and powers and his enemies to himself through the church, the preaching of the gospel right now. That's what Christ is doing. I mean, you think, you think of the Great Commission. We talked about that appearance of Jesus when he shares with them the Great Commission. We find it in Matthew 28 and Luke 24. But the idea, I will be with you. All power has been given to you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. I mean, this is the promise of Christ, and he is with us through the work of the Spirit. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he gives grace to his people for the building of the church, strengthening, sustaining, and expanding of his kingdom. Now, I want to close this morning by reading an inspired prayer, but I want you to look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 1. So we end this short series on the ascension. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15. This is a prayer of Paul for the church at Ephesus and other churches in that particular region. Listen to Paul as he prays for them. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe 
according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills, here's that same language, who fills all in all. It's inspired prayer. Oh, that your, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Oh, that we, the people here at Randolph Street, could look up and see at the right hand of the Father this ascended and glorious Christ who, who right now is at work in bringing to pass his glorious purpose in all things. And church, he's using and gifting you to bring that to pass. Christian, you have a part in this. When we think about the ascension of Christ, we, we should think of this reality. We have a part in this. Right now, he is gifting and equipping us that we might be a part of this work of expanding the kingdom of Christ and building up his church. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's given you grace. He's working in you. He's ministering to you. Right now, that is the work of Jesus. Church, our only response to that should be, Amen. Amen. I trust this short three-week series has been helpful to your soul as we consider this exalted, glorious, reigning Christ. Let's pray together. Well, Father, these last few weeks have taken us into some new, semi-new territory for us as a church. As we've reflected upon what you have done through your son, you not only sent him, but you raised him and you brought him into your presence to see the work that you have accomplished and are accomplishing through your son. Lord, may this short series be a help to our minds and our souls as we walk into the days that are before us as a church. Embolden us, strengthen us, gift us, that we might participate in this glorious movement of you, our triune God, extending your rule and authority and subduing all things to yourself through the preaching of your word, the gospel. Lord, strengthen your people here at Randolph Street as we finish this morning and sing this song calling our hearts again to your right hand. May, may our hearts be not only encouraged, but strengthened for the days that are before us, that we might live to the praise of your glory, that we might walk worthy 
of the calling with which you have called us. To you be glory, O God, in this great truth of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Bless your people, I pray, in Christ's name, amen. Please stand if you would. that once again is so often through the New Testament as we come to the benediction Jude chapter 1. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all